More and more veteran investors are turning to gold as inflation rises. Just yesterday, John Paulson, who made billions off of his correct prediction of the 2008 housing bubble bursting, urged investors to buy bullion before the world wakes up to just how limited the supply of investable gold actually is. And counterintuitively, if the Federal Reserve indeed starts to taper soon as it claims it will, that may well be the very act that kicks off the next major move upwards in the gold price. We're going to see the Fed start to make some moves towards tightening. How far along down that road they can get remains to be seen. But just that tangible action, I think, could release uh, whatever selling pressure remains on gold. Welcome to Wealthion. I'm Adam Taggart, founder of Wealthion, welcoming you back for another week of making sense of money in the markets so that you can make better informed decisions about building your wealth. Gold has had a volatile month, first dropping $40 an ounce in response to the July payrolls report, and then plummeting nearly another $100 an ounce within minutes in the flash crash that happened in the pre-market on the very next trading day. In the past, that kind of trauma would have taken gold months, perhaps even years, to recover from. But interestingly, gold swiftly returned back to the $1,800 an ounce level it was at before both of these recent insults occurred. Are gold's days of being bullied into submission behind us? To answer this question and provide his outlook for the future performance of gold, silver, and the stocks of the companies that mine them, I'm pleased to welcome Brian London onto the program. Brian is CEO of Jefferson Financial, publisher and editor of Gold Newsletter, which began publication in 1971 when the US dollar went off the gold standard. Brian, thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. Adam, great to be with you as always. <laughs> well, thanks. Well, look, let's just roll up our sleeves and dive right into it. But, but really quickly before we do, let me just sort of set the stage by asking you, what is your current assessment of today's global economy and financial markets? Well, that is a very uh, good and wide-ranging question. I would say that very uh, succinctly, the world is, all of the markets now are driven by central bank liquidity. They're all driven by the prospect of uh, further monetary adrenaline being dished out by central banks. So all correlations is, essentially have gone toward one. There, there are no longer contracyclical markets. Everything's dependent upon what the central banks are going to do now. Uh, how much more money are they going to throw? How much more liquidity are they going to throw onto the raging fire that they've already stoked? So uh, that's where every, every market is looking toward. And they're not really uh, too worried about the inflation just yet. At least in the U.S., the markets are kind of uh, betting on the, that, that, that the Fed is correct, that inflation will be transitory. You can see that in the inflation break-evens. Forecasts for inflation remain muted. Um, and they're basically believing what the Fed is, is dishing out. So um, that's kind of where we are. They, they think that the Fed will be able to combat higher inflation if it actually proves to be more persistent, but I'm betting that they won't be able to, that the central banks won't be able to control it because they're really constrained and cannot raise rates. 
So we have uh, an interesting few months ahead of us as we continue, I believe, to get these higher inflation readings. And as the Fed kind of fumbles about trying to do something about it without crashing the financial house of cards that it's created. All right. Uh, very concisely said. Thank you. Now, as I mentioned in the intro, your focus is heavily in the precious metals space. Um, if indeed uh, you're correct and that inflation is going to be more transigent, um, more, more um, uh, intracted than the central banks are currently telling us it's going to be, um, do you see that sort of ushering in a, a new leg higher for the precious metals from here? Uh, yes, that combined with the uh, demonstrated ineffectiveness and powerlessness of the Fed to do anything about it. You know, the, the central bank, the Federal Reserve, has really only one tool in its toolbox to combat higher inflation, and that's to raise rates. And the Fed is constrained on uh, in two areas for two reasons from actually raising rates. One is that the markets won't allow it to, the, the stock market in particular, will throw a hissy fit uh, at any sign of actual rate hikes. And the Fed can't allow that to happen. Uh, the Fed has built up the equity markets, has built up the bond market, has built up the real estate markets um, upon a foundation of not just easy money, but ever easier money. So it, it really has a shaky foundation. The, um, uh, the, the rationale for the equity prices right now are based upon the continuance of extremely easy monetary policy. So it's to the degree now that, you know, the old adage is that the stock market is not the economy. Well, that's no longer true. The stock market is the economy right now. It's driving the U.S. economy. And the Fed cannot allow that to, uh, to topple, as it were. So the Fed really cannot raise rates to any great degree for that reason. The other reason, of course, is the federal debt at this point is at such a uh, such high levels that the debt service costs on that debt would, would crater the federal budget if in fact interest rates were to rise only a few points. So um, there's really, a, 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 the Fed has painted itself into a corner and there's really no easy way out uh, without really a sig very significant depreciation in the value of the dollar. Okay, um, well look, in my intro, I also mentioned the recent uh, monkey hammering that gold took. And you know that's not anything new to longtime holders of the precious metals. Um, but I think what is new is how quickly gold bounced back. Um, are you seeing this as uh, a change in the market's ability to push gold around? Is this, is this a sign that we're sort of in a new era here? Well, it, it is a sign that we're in a more bullish footing for gold. Um, you know, after really a, a long time, decades of watching the gold price on a daily basis, I've, I've come to get a feel for when gold wants to go higher. For the past few months, I really haven't gotten that feeling. Um, the, the market looked for any excuse to sell rather than reasons to buy. And right now, it seems to be interpreting uh, new data and new developments as reasons to buy. So it's really gotten a much more bullish sentiment to it. That flash crash that we saw that you alluded to was very quickly reversed. And I think part of that is because that was a manipulated uh, market raid 
where a number of shorts acted in collusion and apparently in violation of position limits to, uh, to crash the market very quickly, go massively short. And then at the bottom, they uh, close out their short positions and in fact could have gone long and made money on the, uh, the rebound. So those kinds of things have been a feature of the gold market, as you mentioned, over the years. They happen every few years here and there. Um, and it's really a function of high frequency traders taking advantage of the structure of the market and thin trading hours or thin trading markets to low volume markets to take advantage of it. Um, so part of that is a natural rebound. But subsequently to that, we saw uh, gold really regain all and more that it had lost during that episode. And that is what is encouraging to me. All right, good. Um, I, I do want to just drill in if we can for a second here about what you said about um, the raid largely looking like it was orchestrated by, um, you know, short term profit takers who basically were trying to profit from hammering the, the price down when they were, were short the price of gold. Um, and then who knows, maybe even flipped along once they had hammered it down there. Um, again, you've mentioned we've seen that at, at, at really too many times over the past bunch of years. Is there any hope that that is going to be um, better policed going forward? Um, I, I, I don't know if you're, you know, if you really have the answer to this, but, 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 but if that is indeed illegal, which I, I believe it probably is, at least in spirit, if not in, in law, um, how are these guys continuing to be able to get away with it? Well, there, there's really not a constituency uh, against them. There's nobody really to complain that carries any power, I guess. Uh, they don't just do it in gold and, and silver. They, they find Goldilocks markets that, have, that are large enough that they can make a lot of money at it. Uh, but small enough that they can be pushed around in off hours, you know, low volume markets. So it, it's not really a conspiracy that I've seen strictly against gold and silver, but just a function of these high frequency traders, et cetera. So I don't see a whole lot of hope for it because, you know, the exchanges make money regardless. Um, and, and there's not really been to this date much action against these kinds of people. There used to be a guy, uh, Eric Hungsater, who uh, has a company called Nanex, who used to track these flash crashes very closely. Um, but he's kind of disappeared. He's hadn't tweeted for a couple of years now. I don't know what happened to him. But he really broke these down. And uh, his company uh, provides real-time tick-by-tick uh, uh, data transmission on the markets. And he really uh, forensically would go in there and figure out how these high frequency traders would send packets of trades of a certain amount that wouldn't trip the circuit breakers, but just stress the market and hit the, uh, uh, the sell stops on the way down. And it really was an amazing thing to see and to learn how they do this. So there's not much doubt these days that it's being done. Um, I guess the thing that would trip them up if they do it too often and too frequently and start attracting a lot more attention to themselves. But I, I think it's just a feature of the way the, the markets are run these days. And I really don't have much hope that it's going to be corrected or, or uh, enforced against uh, anytime soon. All right. Frustrating. And one of the reasons why I asked was the former chairman um, or sorry, commissioner of the CFTC, which is the... Um, 
a regulatory agency that sort of polices the commodities markets, which include gold and silver. There's a guy named Gary Gensler, who's now been promoted to the SEC chairman. Um, and uh, I don't know, it sounds like you're saying, you know, despite his his having a, a bigger uh, job now, you, you don't see uh, at least any hope in the near term that that a guy like him might try to clean things up a bit more. No, I don't. I think they probably have their hands full, Gensler in particular, with the crypto craze, as it were, the rise of the crypto markets and trying to regulate that, which is an entirely different story. So I, I don't think, you know, specifically in regard to gold and silver, I think that they're not really concerned. And as I say, these kinds of uh, brief market manipulations are just kind of shrugged off by uh by everyone in the market. So I don't think they, they get a lot of attention uh, and certainly not from the SEC so far. Gosh, it, it, it just feels like letting criminals that decide to go after a bank that's not too big of a bank, yeah. uh, you're just gonna let them get away with it as long as they don't do it too often. But anyways, um, not here to dive deep into that with you here, but is very interesting to hear your thoughts on it. Um, so uh, again, you talked about how gold you know, regained all that it had lost and a little bit more, which is an encouraging sign. Um, I guess my two questions for you. One, silver uh, did not re rebound as strongly as gold has. I think when this all happened, silver was around $28 an ounce. It's still hovering like around 23 and a half or so, maybe a little bit more than that now. Um, any reason why silver has failed to catch up? Uh, not really. Uh, it, that was discouraging to me. While gold's rebound was encouraging, what you want to see are silver and the mining stocks leading gold on any rally. And that really did not happen uh, in the immediate aftermath of that flash crash, uh, uh, I guess a few weeks ago now. But over the last couple of days, we've seen silver actually lead gold. Importantly, uh, gold had a nice day a couple of days ago and silver actually outperformed gold uh, quite significantly. So that was encouraging. Um, so it's, it's made up that ground recently. It also didn't fall through $23, which was kind of an important uh, technical support level for it. And in fact, has built up a bit of a buffer above that level. So I'm actually a bit encouraged by silver just over the last couple of days. Okay, well, that's good. Look, um, I want to get to talking about the miners, but, but real quickly, just as we, we stay on the metals for a moment. Um, what is your outlook, your sort of, you know, near to midterm outlook for the precious metals from here? Um, and what what do you think are the biggest factors that's going to drive them? Um, now, obviously, you talked about inflation expectations being one. But um, I, I guess if you could, you know, let's say the next six months to two years, um, do you see the metals going higher? If so, is it going to be a gradual process or do you think we're at a, a point in the story here where things could, could start accelerating given kind of the box that you said that you, you find the Fed in? Yeah, I think they could start accelerating in the weeks just ahead. You know, the thing about gold and silver is that the near term is much more uncertain than the long term. Uh, we really have no idea. Um, I don't even pretend anymore to have an idea of where gold's going to be, what it's going to do tomorrow or next week. But if you look, as you say, a year, two years, three years down the line, you really have to have a lot of confidence that gold and silver prices are going to be much, much higher than they are today because of all the factors I just mentioned. You know, the Fed really can't do anything to combat inflation like it has historically. 
uh, inflation seems to be much more persistent and deeply rooted than uh, the Fed and, and a lot of the people on Wall Street are, are discounting. So I think over the next few months, we're going to get a lot of clarity because we're going to get more data on inflation and we're going to get more data from the Fed on what it intends to do about it. Um, very shortly, probably at uh, the Fed's September meeting uh, that I believe it concludes on September 22nd, I think that will give us, that could be a launching point for the metals because we could get a calendar or some type of a plan come out of that for tapering, uh, when they're going to, to what degree, et cetera. And these kinds of uh, tightening moves by the Fed have in the past proven to be uh, launching points for the metals. Um, you know, when the Fed actually tightened, started to tighten rates in uh, December of 2015, finally trying to normalize rate policy post-2008, uh, that marked a bottom for gold. Gold really, the price declined up until that point. And we predicted in gold newsletter that that would provide a launching point that would provide a turnaround on gold. And it sure, and it did as the, the Fed attempted to raise rates. And of course we know that it wasn't able to, but as it attempted to raise rates, the gold price rose and very strongly off of what was an oversold bottom, a bottom that was created by speculators who shorted the metal in anticipation of the Fed raising rates. Then once the Fed actually hiked rates, um, having bought the rumor, those speculators sold the news, they reversed their shorts, moved on to some other trade, and the, the pressure on the gold price was released. So I think we're going to see something like that this time around. We're going to see the Fed start to make some moves towards tightening. How far along down that road they can get remains to be seen. But just that tangible action, I think, could release uh, whatever selling pressure remains on gold. Okay, well, that's really interesting. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we, we saw um, last summer, I guess, um, we saw gold hit a price. I'm trying to remember exactly what, what the high price was, but around $2,200 or so an ounce. Um, and silver was around a little over $30 an ounce. Um, do you see us taking out those highs going forward from here over the next 12 to 18 months? Um, you know, if, if that pressure you're talking about is removed? I don't know about 12 to 18 months. And, uh, you know, the problem with re reaching all-time highs in any, um, any price or any asset is that you're literally in uncharted territory at that point. So how do you project where it's going to go? I, I think we'll take out those highs easily over the next few years, uh, maybe not in the next 12 to 18 months, but it's important to consider what gold has done in previous uh, large-scale secular bull markets that are based on monetary issues, which obviously this one is. Um, we had, and, and gold, keep in mind, only, only became a freely trading asset in the U.S., the world's you know, most important investment market in 1971. So there's only been like three, uh, even only two, to, depending on how you count it, bull markets in the history of gold as an investable asset. 
So we had 1971 uh, through basically uh, 1974, where the gold price went up about seven or eight times in value. We had 1976 to 1980, where the price again went up about seven or eight times in, in value. We had 2000 to 2011, and gold did the same thing and it went up seven to eight times in value. So from the bottom that we saw in this cycle, which was about $1,040 uh, in 2015, if gold does that kind of a thing again during this bull market, whether it takes three years, five years, or 10 years, then we would at the end of it see a gold price somewhere in the seven to $8,000 range. That sounds kind of, kind of crazy right now uh, at these levels, but everything that's going on in today's world sounded uh, crazy, sounded uh, really insane prior to 2008, and now it's all been normalized. So uh, I think that's where we're going. I just don't know quite long how long it's gonna take us to get there. Okay, um, super helpful though. All right, well, let's, let's move on to the miners now. Um, so uh, first off, uh, just, just for any viewers here that, that aren't terribly familiar with the precious metals mining companies. Can, can you just explain, obviously these are the companies that mine the precious metals, the gold and silver miners out there, but can you explain why somebody would want to invest in the miners versus just in the physical metal itself? Yeah, uh, simply put leverage there. And, and if you're looking at gold and silver as monetary metals, <clears throat> as assets to invest in, there's really, it's, it's a bifurcated kind of a thing. There's two reasons to buy precious metals or related investments. One is as insurance, uh, wealth insurance, portfolio insurance. Um, but unlike, say, uh, 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 your home insurance, where you are insuring against the possibility of, let's say, a fire, but you don't really expect your home to catch on fire. Uh, in this case, by buying gold, you're insuring against something you know is going to happen the depreciation in the purchasing power of the underlying currency, whatever your currency may be. You know that's going to happen. And so you're insuring not against a possibility, but an uh, inevitability. You know this is going to happen. So it's important that everyone who has the means, who has anything to protect uh, asset-wise, that they own some physical metals to hedge against that, that inevitability of, of currency depreciation. On the other hand, if you look at the macro picture and you believe that the prices of gold and silver are going to rise in your home currency, whatever it may be, then you can invest uh, in light of that trend and try to leverage that trend. And you can do that through mining companies because miners uh, profit from rising gold prices to a greater degree than the percentage rise in the metal itself because their operating expenses generally remain stagnant or steady. So any rise in the product value, the price of the product they're selling, in this case, gold or silver, expands their profit margins commensurately. Um, so they tend to rise in value much more quickly than the, uh, the, the rise in the values or the rise in the prices of the underlying metals themselves. So you can leverage that by investing in the producers. Then if you get into the miners, there's a wide spectrum of choices there from the senior producers, mid-tier producers, further down the food chain, you get into the development companies and even 
the exploration companies, all of which have their own little quirks and, uh, and, and things you need to know to successfully invest in them. Uh, and there's an education process in that. All right. Well, I, I want to get to both um, some of the things you're involved in that helps educate uh, investors in those, um, as well as uh, your thoughts on any particular companies that have caught your attention um, most recently. But but before we get there, I want to get get through a couple key milestones along the way first. We hope you've been enjoying this discussion with precious metals analyst Brian London. The interview continues in part two, where Brian explains how to receive leveraged returns on the price performance of gold and silver by investing in mining stocks. He details out the options for investors, what he looks for when evaluating companies, and reveals two of his current top favored mining stock picks. To watch part two, just click on the link provided in the description to this video below, or go to youtube.com slash Wealthion. But before you go, please don't forget to hit the like button and then click the subscribe button below, as well as that little bell icon right next to it if you haven't already. It only takes a second and it really does help us out, as the more subscribers this channel has, the more big name experts we can attract onto this program in the future. Oh, and if you'd appreciate a free, no strings attached portfolio review by a financial advisor who can help manage your portfolio with the opportunities that Brian has highlighted here, just go to Wealthion.com and we'll set one up for you. Okay, I'll see you over at part two of our video interview with Brian London. Thank you.